welcome to the Wilder Outdoors podcast, where you'll get the inspiration and information you need to have great outdoor adventures with your family. I'm Rob, your host. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Today's episode, I chat with my friend Josh Link, and you might remember Josh from our fire science episode. In his day job, Josh is a a firefighter, as well as an excellent father and husband, uh, and also an outdoorsman. But uh, today, we're going to talk about something a little bit different, and something that is certainly, you know, something that that Josh has helped me with a lot, which is ice fishing. Now, why would we talk about ice fishing? I, more than any other skill, have parents come to me and say, hey, my kids are really interested in fishing. I don't know the first thing about it. Can you help me? And so here in Minnesota, for half the year, you really have to know how to ice fish. And the beauty of ice fishing is that it's a really easy introduction where your kids can have fun and catch fish. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Josh will give you some very practical uh, tips and tricks for getting your kids out on the ice, how to do it safely, uh, and how to have fun and, and catch fish. So you know, if you live in a place where the lakes freeze over, this is definitely something you want to listen to. If it's, you know, let's say you don't live in the north, maybe you live in the south uh, or the southwest, both of which I've lived in, you're going to hear a really interesting conversation about something that is really important to us up in the north. And maybe you come visit. And if you do, you'll know what to do. So, you know, there's there's a lot there. Hopefully it's interesting for everyone. Uh, but Josh is a fantastic guest, super knowledgeable, super helpful, and fantastic with kids. So before we start the episode, if you could do me a favor and subscribe to this podcast, it would help a ton. Um, and you know, if at the end you like it, please give it a good review. And finally, you know, Josh and I talk about a lot of skills uh, on the podcast, whether it's fire building or ice fishing. You should know that if any of that interests you, we offer an online academy of outdoor skills specifically targeted towards families. So we cover everything from firecraft to winter skills to tarp shelters to other survival shelters. We cover a lot of stuff. And if you want to check it out, go to www.wilderoutdooracademy.com. Again, that's wilderoutdooracademy.com. With that, let's start today's episode. Hi, everyone. Today I have with me my friend Josh Link, and if you haven't heard it yet, check him out on episode 10 where he talks about fire science and making amazing campfires, but also how to raise uh, kids who love the outdoors and who are just also awesome humans, which he happens to have done uh, you know, really well himself. So today we're going to talk about something that might be um, you know, specific to some regions of the country, but that is something that is a lot of fun if you can do it. And also something that I think a lot of people struggle to get into, uh, myself included. So today we're going to talk about ice fishing. It should be a blast. So Josh, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. So for folks who didn't listen to, you know, uh, episode 10, give us just a quick rundown on who you are, your life in the outdoors and your family. Sure. Uh, I am a uh, 48-year-old man who's married with two kids. I have an 11-year-old, soon-to-be-12-year-old twins, and uh, we live in Minnesota. We, I'm a firefighter. I think you just mentioned that. And uh, my kids and I are avid outdoors people, and my wife uh, is a pretty in- enthusiastic outdoors person as well. So we kind of... Uh, do everything we can to build our lives as much around that as possible. We still live in a suburban 
uh, neighborhood and have 40 hour a week jobs and do all the normal stuff that a lot of people do. But um, the outdoors is, is our thing. Yeah. And, you know, I grew up in Florida, you grew up in California, and we somehow find ourselves in the frigid north. Uh, how did you start ice fishing? Like, what was that like? Yeah, that's a good question, because uh, you're right. You grew up in California. Next thing you know, you're ice fishing over 20 inches of ice in the great frozen tundra. But uh, I grew up as an avid fisherman, always fished. And when 13 years ago, we moved to Minnesota uh, because of my wife's work. And I remember I walked into a store that doesn't even exist anymore called Gander Mountain shortly after we moved here. And I saw these ice fishing uh, shanties, pop-ups and things. And I was like, what are these? No idea what that was. And that's kind of interesting that you can live in the same country and you don't ever run into like ice fishing isn't even on the radar of a, of a huge portion of the, the United States. People that know little to nothing about it. They're probably at the most know it exists and that's about it. So, and, it, and, and you mentioned the barrier to breaking into it. Like it's a little hard to get started with. I found that too. So I lived here for, you know, eight or nine years before I met somebody, excuse me. I met somebody who, um, was an avid ice fisherman and he took me with him. Um, I'll take that back a, a couple times because there's different types of ice fishing and you can, you can get yourself into a warm little cabin that sits on the ice with a hole in the floor and you can play cards and watch the football game. And you can do everything between that and sit on a bucket on the frozen lake, holding a fishing pole and everything in between. So I did a couple of the latter uh, with some friends and kind of got exposed to it. But it wasn't until I met my friend uh, who took me out and showed me the way he's been doing it since he was a kid that really uh, that really spoke to me as like a, a real outdoors experience. Mm. And so what was that trip like? Uh, well, I mean, he is an avid fisherman like me, avid hunter outdoors all the time. And he likes to take uh, a device called a tip up. And it's it's this really cool uh, device that's basically like a fishing uh, reel and a trap all in one. It kind of reminds me of a, of a trap that catches animals or like a mouse trap or something, but it doesn't hurt the fish, but it hangs the bait down in the water. You drill a hole in the ice and hang this thing down in the water. When the fish takes the bait, a little flag pops up. So you get this little hit of adrenaline when you look over and you see this, your flag pop up, you're like, Oh, I got a fish. And you go over there and you can see the reel spinning as the fish swims away with the bait. And then you set the hook and you pull this fish out. And it's just uh, something so compelling about being standing on the ice, the dry, you know, almost basically dry land. And right below you is the depths and all these fish swimming around and you're able to catch a couple of them. So he showed me that method and the previous methods that I've tried is where you sit over the hole and jig your bait up and down waiting for a fish to come along. So it requires a fair bit of patience. And uh, this and each person is allowed in Minnesota to put out two of those. So if you have a couple, three people fishing, you have, you know, four or six of these tip up baits out 
And while the fish aren't biting, you're standing around, spending time with your friends, socializing, uh, strategizing, considering where you might want to move your tip-ups to get a better uh, chance of getting getting bites. And um, the whole thing, uh, I, I often describe the type of fishing that I do, whether I'm fishing for open water, largemouth bass, or pike, or walleye. I consider fishing to be very similar to a chess match. And what I mean by that is if you want to, you can just throw your bait out off the dock or off the boat. And if a fish comes along, great. And if he doesn't, well, then you didn't catch a fish that day. But the way that I fish and the way that a lot of, of serious like tournament people fish, which I'm not one of those, but the way a lot of people that are real serious about their fishing fish is they observe their surroundings. They make a choice. They present a bait to the fish. And if that doesn't work within a certain amount of time, they make a change and they keep trying different strategies until something works. And then when something works, they ask themselves, why did that work? And what can I do to make it work better? And that is one of the most compelling things about fishing that I really enjoy is the chess match, the problem solving, working my way from not catching any fish all the way up to having a very successful day where we catch a lot of fish based on the decisions that I make based on my observations and experience and ice fishing with tip ups, which isn't the only way. And there's a lot of fun ways to ice fish, but ice fishing with tip ups uh, allows me to really tap into that side of my fishing personality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned the, the chess game, right? And I, you know, I experienced this, especially with hunting. I experienced it a little bit with fishing too, um, also my kids experience it as they're learning to play checkers, which is, uh, kind of yeah. fun. Um, but you know, if you don't know the rules of the game or like the, the things that you can, you know, change, it's really hard to, to start making those decisions. So when you're fishing, you know, what are, what are sort of the handful of things that you're asking yourself about whether or not it's going to work? Right. That's a very astute question, Rob. You sound like an outdoorsman yourself. Uh, um, yeah, good Good point you said about the hunting because the hunting is right along the same lines. And maybe that's what's so nice uh, about that style of fishing is that it bears a lot of similarities to hunting. And I've heard it said before that anytime you ever see any, say you're hunting deer or turkeys, anytime you ever see your game species do anything, you should be asking yourself why. Why did they do that? And you may not know the answer, but you should definitely be asking yourself why. And you should be asking yourself, if I can understand why they're doing it, then how can I make that work to my advantage? And that's the same thing that we're doing with fishing. We're, we're making observations and trying to see how we can work it to our advantage. But the basic rules that, that we do know is that every animal, including humans, but in this case fish, requires a few basic things they want food um fish don't have to look too hard for water but you know most animals want food and water and they want some sort of cover some place to hide some place to feel safe and they want all of it in an arrangement that is convenient or conducive to living and that means food and water somewhere adjacent to cover and 
the ability to kind of move between the two safely. Mm-hmm. Um, how that applies to fish, fish consider like uh, think places to hide like tall weeds or uh, submerged trees as cover. And they consider their ultimate as a fish do any considering, but I'll use the word consider <laughs> fish consider uh, deep water to be safe. But deep water doesn't normally deep water is relative to the lake, but deep water typically doesn't hold as much food and cover as shallow water. The deeper the water gets, the fewer weeds grow because the less sunlight gets down there, for example. Um, And weeds tend to also be a place where lots of small animals hide, bait fish, insects, and that's where the food is. So fish, uh, and, and, and this is a general rule, of course, there's no solid rules in the outdoors, but fish move up to shallow water to feed and they move to deep water to feel safe. So if we're fishing, we're interested in fish that are feeding generally because we want them to eat our bait. So we're fishing um, oftentimes for many species um, in shallower water. And that's a relative term. It could be a foot of water, but generally I'm talking about six to 12 feet of water, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. But in Minnesota, in a lot of areas, uh, there's a weed line. The weeds kind of tend to grow out to a certain depth and then they taper off because the sunlight doesn't penetrate as deep enough through the water for those weeds to survive. So we're fishing in shallow-ish water, but the key is, I said arrangement, right? So you're fishing in shallow water with some sort of cover, and you're looking for something that's adjacent to deep water escape routes. And a fish feels very comfortable when it's has short-term hiding places like in the weeds, but can always make a quick escape to deep water and be gone. So mm-hmm. the first places that I always look to fish in open water or ice fishing is a place where uh, there's a sharp drop-off. That's like a good rule of thumb. You have an area that goes from six to 10 feet and then quickly drops off to 20 to 30 feet. And, and again, I keep saying relative, this is relative to each lake because some lakes, the deepest part of the lake is 20 feet. Mm-hmm. Other lakes that might be a hundred feet. And if there's people listening out West, 200 feet is nothing for a deep reservoir. Um, so it's all relative of course, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, like that's a really good starting point. Um, and another rule of thumb, if, even if you don't have the types of uh, a map of the what the bottom of the lake looks like or a some sort of electronic device that helps they have GPS for lakes and all those things. If you look at the shoreline and you see what it's doing, is it dropping off sharply? Is it is it a gentle shoreline? Is it a sandy shoreline? Is it a rocky shoreline? Is it a muddy shoreline? That trend of the shoreline tends to continue out into the water. So if you see an area where there's a sharp drop off, it'll usually continue to drop off sharply. If you see a gentle, gentle uh, shoreline, it'll typically tend to stay that way. But there are drop offs out there that you can't find any other way than by either looking through clear water or in the old days, people just had a, a string with a weight on it and they would drop it down to the bottom. Okay, that's about eight feet. They'd go a little bit further, drop it again. All right, 15 feet here. All right, we got a pretty good drop off right here, and they go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say I I like to use um, 
I mean, it really, I just go on the internet and any, any lake I'm, I'm looking to fish and I, I always look for a depth chart. I just Google depth chart, the lake's name, and I can usually, you know, um, pull something. I think Navionics is the, the folks that, that produce most of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, that's. Absolutely. And then Navionics has an app uh, that you can put on your phone. And it has the majority of the lakes on it. And then you, it combines that map you're talking about with GPS. So you can see not only the depths of the lake, but where you are in relation to them. Mm. And I think that it used to be a free app. It might just be like an $8 app or something like that. But if you're interested in fishing, I don't know if there's one thing you can do that is more impactful to increasing your chances of catching more fish than to be aware of the terrain of the lake you're fishing mm-hmm. on. I think it's, it's like, obviously you got to have a fishing pole and you got to have bait and all those things. But if you're out fishing and you have a depth uh, map and you, and you don't have a depth map, I'll put my money on the, the depth map guy every mm-hmm. time. It makes that much of a difference. You and I wouldn't walk out into the woods to hunt squirrels together and just um, start walking through an area with no trees. Would we? <laughs> right. Right. That's ridiculous. Right. But if everything was covered with water and squirrels lived underwater and we had to try to find them and we couldn't see the trees because everything was underwater, we would we would our success rate would go way down. Right. And the same goes fish are just like any other animal. They have habits and patterns and they follow specific. Specific patterns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've spoken with a lot of people about ice fishing because you know i'm i'm figuring it out and i'll ask friends if they want to come and the number one concern even for myself and especially for my wife uh is you know safety on the ice right because people die from falling through the ice and so it makes sense to a lot of people to not even try it but my you know my experience is that in general like a little bit of knowledge goes a long way what how can people be sure that they're being safe um you know, when they go out on the ice. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly the biggest barrier. I, it may be one of the biggest barriers. It's that, that psychological barrier of like, I'm not sure. And the consequences are too high. Let's just stay home and watch football. Mm-hmm. But I'm, and I don't have anything against football, but I think, uh, I, I've, I've mentioned this other times that you and I talk and I probably mention it too much, but I feel like having an understanding of what you're doing is, is power. Knowledge is power. And if you understand the basics of how this works and what's going on, then you have the power to make safe and smart decisions and you don't have to feel so nervous. Um, but basic rules of thumb for ice. Yeah. There needs to be a few, like one of them is, that it's is a very common for people to say there is no such thing as safe ice. And I'm not the biggest fan of that statement because um, while it is essentially true, I think it kind of paints it with a very dark brush. Um, what or maybe the, maybe the terminology if I'm is actually, there's no such thing as 100% safe ice. And that's certainly true. Um, but there's things to know about ice. Ice floats. Everybody's had a drink. Everybody's noticed that ice floats. So while you're on a sheet of ice uh, on a frozen lake or pond, 
not only is the thickness of the ice a factor for um, supporting your weight, the fact that that ice is floating on top of liquid water is supporting the majority of your weight. If I took a six inch piece of ice that I made, uh, I made a, a six inch thick plank of ice and I put it uh, across, uh, I made a little bridge out of it, six inches thick, perfect clear ice. And I had you walk across it. There's a good chance you weigh you know, 180 pounds or whatever you weigh, mm -hmm. uh, that you'd break it, right? Six inches thick, that's some pretty thick ice, but you walk across it and you load ice in that way with no support underneath it, it'll probably break. But ice is floating on top of water. So not only are you, is the thickness of the ice supporting your weight, but also the water that it's floating on is kind of holding the whole sheet below you. Mm -hmm. Um the early part of the season, another thing that you have to know about ice on the, on a lake is that just because it's six inches here, doesn't mean it's six inches over there. It might be 12 inches over there. It might be three inches over there. There's various factors in the lake. The lake that you live close to that I fish a lot has some natural springs in it. So there's certain areas where the water is warmer and certain areas where the water is colder. Um, when I first saw those natural springs on that lake when I was fishing it last winter, I got a little nervous because I'm like, oh, man, there's going to be open water here. And it wasn't as bad as I thought. And because I was using basic safety and and um, understanding my environment, I was never really in any danger. Um, we carry like a, a metal stick. It's called a spud bar. It's like a kind of like a pry bar. It probably weighs like around five pounds and it's maybe 10 pounds and it's made of metal. And you take that thing as you walk out on the ice and you jam it in the ice real hard. If that thing doesn't poke through, then you're good to take a few more steps. And you just keep doing that. Um, and this is really only for the early season and in some cases the late season. As the season moves on, uh, I mean, the general rule of thumb is four inches of ice is safe to walk on um get up to like six to eight inches of ice and you can pull an atv out on it um and, and i i actually even hesitate to give these numbers because i don't want someone to hear these numbers and be like these are the hard and fast numbers it's just like a a, a rule of thumb mm -hmm. but you you basically just need to be cognizant of how thick the ice is and you need to be, you can't just assume everything's fine. Right. And, and I, and I, and I really recognize that that can be a bit of a barrier to people that aren't comfortable with it. And that's why I think there's other barriers to ice fishing. And it's a real shame because it's just one of the best pastimes. And I'll talk about a lot of people hate the winter, right? Mm -hmm. um, I believe a lot of people hate the winter because they don't, take advantage of the great things about winter that only can be done in the winter. And I grew up in California. I got no love for the extreme cold weather. I grew up surfing in November, <laughs> but, but I love this so much more now. And it's because I look forward to the, to the winter because one of my favorite things to do happens in the winter. Mm -hmm. Um, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I um 
my my rule of thumb, which is a, I think it's a pretty safe rule of thumb, whenever I I go ice fishing is once I start seeing cars on the ice, uh, I assume it's safe enough to walk on and probably even like ski on, but um, yeah, for anyone who's interested, I think the first time I saw ice fishing was in the the movie Grumpy Old Men, and you'll see it, you know, just for fun, if this is totally new to you, uh, you can see some of the the community. Yeah, you can um you can see some of the community that forms around ice fishing in this sort of typical Midwestern way that you know people will all drive their trucks out on the ice and they'll just kind of hang out and do it. And I think that brings up a really great uh point that Josh hit on, which is you know you can. I, I heard a quote once, right? So being a transplant into this you know frigid north that we live in. Um, it said, you must learn to have fun in the snow. Otherwise you will have just as much snow, but less fun. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I, and I think Minnesotans, especially maybe it's like this all over the Midwest are really good at finding ways to have fun on the ice and in otherwise like really crummy conditions. And, you know, I, one example is I, I went to a fishing a derby or fishing an ice fishing competition last year that was being hosted for it to benefit firefighters. And it was just a big party on a lake with like probably 300 holes in the ice. And you just showed up, picked a hole. And if you caught the biggest fish, you won some money and the rest of the money all went to benefit the firefighters, but it was just a lot of fun. And there were lots of people out there. So I think Josh, um, sorry, it's a long way to say that, even for folks who live here, you can think like, oh, sitting on a bucket with a pole in, you know, 15 degrees on a lake is supposed to be fun. You know, what are some of the things that you do, especially as you, you know, you take your kids out and do this, that keep ice fishing fun for you and for the people that are with you? Right. I mean, Rob, this is like the key to this whole discussion. Like, um, I think you and I have talked about this before. I often say like, uh, we, we go fishing, we go hunting, we go, uh, in the outdoors and we call it fishing or hunting or whatever we call it. But really it is spending time together, unlimited swimming, unlimited snacks, just hanging out. Let's make a fire. Sure. You guys want to roast hot dogs? Let's do it. You know, like it's, it's just a big outdoor experience. And I, I used to think like that was something I was doing for my kids to keep them interested so that they would become fishermen. But I realized that's the same thing that we do as adults. We're out there to fish and we are, you know, maybe more or less serious about that, that goal. But meanwhile, we stand around and have some of the best conversations I have with people. We, eat good food. We may have packed lunches or we're, we're going to make some food or, you know, someone says, Hey, here, I'm going to bring out a recipe that I made with the uh, buck that I killed last year. Here's some tenderloins and some potatoes. So you have some yummy hot meal while you're out there. Um, well, I, here's this, let me tell you about, uh, last late winter, what ended up being our last day out fishing, ice fishing, And, uh, my wife was out of town for work and I had the kids 
and a friend of mine has two kids uh, similar age and his wife was busy. So the two of us decided, let's take the kids out ice fishing. We went out there, you know, as I mentioned, we can have two tip ups per person. So we had uh, four kids and two adults. So we had, uh, help me with my math here, 12 tip ups out. That is a lot of lines in the water. Um, so we had a lot of success. We caught a bunch of fish, which is very exciting for the kids and for us. But on top of that, we brought out our little pop-up shelter, which is like a little tent that kind of protects you from the weather if you want it. It was a beautiful sunny day, which you don't always get, but we got that day. We brought a little portable fire pit, a couple packs of hot dogs, marshmallows, a football, a soccer ball, the ATV, um, drinks for everybody, and... We had a blast. The kids were running around, having so much fun together, kicking the soccer ball, um, going on little, walking over to the shoreline and going on little little nature hikes together. We brought little walkie-talkies so the kids had radios so we could call them and say, hey, Breaker Breaker, are you guys okay? And they'd be like, we're okay, Dad. And they get a huge <laughs> kick out of the radios. We do too, to be honest. We're just big kids ourselves. Um we roasted hot dogs for everybody. There was, you know, all kinds of chips and snacks the kids could have. They loved that. We caught a bunch of fish. Like I mentioned, every time you turn around, there's a flag popping up. And every time that happens, the kids get super excited and run over there. We got there at nine o'clock in the morning. We picked up our, our uh, tip ups reluctantly at seven thirty at night and we were still catching fish, but our wives were like, when are you going to be home? So we had to, we had to pull up stakes and pull out of there and it was starting to get cold, but what a day and all the things that we did, we caught, we caught 10 or 15 fish and that was fun, but I can't remember hardly any of the fish unless I look at a picture. None of them were record breakers, but I do think about that day all the time. I really uh, had a chance to connect with my friend that we don't get to talk as much as I would like. Uh, I got to know his kids. Our kids knew each other, but they weren't super close. They became much closer friends. And those my kids will bring that day up. They'll be like, hey, remember that one day? Last? That was so fun. And that's all I'm looking for. I'm looking for, in the big picture, my number one goal is for my kids to have a positive feeling about doing things in the outdoors. Because doing things in the outdoors is what human beings were like we evolved like that. That's who human beings are. I know that we live in these more complex societies now and we have a modern technology and modern culture. And I mean, you and I are sitting here talking on our over the Internet, you know, so obviously the the, the modern things are great. But I don't like to forget about the things that humans have done for centuries, and that is spend time outdoors, spend time with each other spend time with our families and work towards things, you know, work towards goals that are sometimes difficult or challenging. That's what we're all about. And so that's, I assume why it's so gosh darn satisfying when you do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, the thing about fishing, I, I don't know, someday I'll share my thoughts about catch and release fishing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's certainly fine for some folks, but, you know, the, the other piece about fishing is that like you bring home food. 
Yep. You know, that's if, if you can if you can save the money on bait and tackle, it, it's actually kind of like a cost effective way to feed your family. You know, for us on that lake that you're you're mentioning, uh, I won't give away our common fishing spot here, but uh, yeah, I mean, we it takes what two two bass to feed our family, like two decent sized bass to feed our family for a meal and a half. Yeah, you know? and they are they're abundant. And they're relatively easy to catch if you if you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned the uh, there is kind of a barrier to entry for this stuff, right? And part of it is, yeah, you have to figure out how to not fall through the ice, which again, like, is not super hard if you can, uh, you know read the signs, you know, if people are riding their cars on, you know, a smaller lake, you're probably fine. Otherwise, you know, invest in a, one of the longer ice picks that you, um, you know, can walk with what the, the thing I don't think you mentioned was gear. Right. And, and there are a handful of things that you really need for ice fishing. What, what would you say are essential gear items to get started ice fishing? Right. And, you know, you made me think of something that I, I should have mentioned too. Like when I first moved here, I saw people out on the ice and it made me very uncomfortable because I was from the West Coast. But I sat there and I was super compelled by it. And I just waited until I saw somebody that weighed about the same as me walk out on the ice and I just walked behind him. (laughs) And I was like, like, okay, if he, he looks like he knows what he's doing. So I'll just that. And then later in that year, I sat there in my truck and I waited until a truck that looked like it was heavier than mine drove out there. And then I just drove behind it. And so point being, that's a long winded way of saying, if you see other people out on the ice and they're in a certain area, then you're probably safe to be in that area too. Of course, that's not a hundred percent effective, but it's generally pretty effective. So anyways, though, uh, equipment, uh, you need a way to put a hole in the ice. Um, it runs everywhere from these little hand powered augers that I always see on Facebook marketplace and Craigslist for under $30. And it's basically just something with a sharp blade on one end and you, and a, you twist it with your hand all the way up to, you could spend a, a thousand bucks on a sweet lithium ion powered, um, big auger drill that punches these holes and they can put a hole through 20 inches of ice in, in 20 seconds. Um, and probably the most common and fairly inexpensive are the same thing, but it uses a uh, an engine, a little small, like a weed whacker size, chainsaw sized engine. And those are, uh, I guess they just call it the gas powered auger. And those are readily available on Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist for under $200, often a lot less than that. And new ones are probably around $300. Um, mm-hmm. But again, what works even better than that is getting your buddy from work or your neighbor or your brother to take you. Cause he already has one because <laughs> he probably also knows where to drill the hole too. And then, uh, the, the fishing lines that you need, uh, you, uh, those tip ups, uh, can be had for, you know, they're 10, 12 bucks for the cheap ones. And some of the nicer ones are more like 35 or 40 bucks. And I do event- recommend eventually getting at least one nice one to see the difference, but you can get started for, 10 or $15 per tip up. And, um, all you do is you put a worm or a, or a, uh, a minnow down the hole and you're off and running. So you need warm gear. 
and uh, warm boots, but you already have those because you live in the upper Midwest. And um, it, it, it's really probably it's it's good to start on a day when the weather is nice and the wind's not whipping across the lake and it's not snowing. Um, and you can go from there. They make pop-up shelters that give you a little place to hang out and you can drill a hole in the ice and fish through that hole in your shelter and lots and lots of people do it that way. And that's a nice way. I mean, you can imagine you and a good friend or a couple kids sitting inside of a little pop-up shelter where it's fairly warm with a small propane heater, a couple holes in the ice, and um, you may as well be sitting at home. It's just as comfortable, darn close anyway. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't need a lot to get started, but if you end up liking it, then you'll start getting interested in more things. <laughs> Yeah, the first time I went, I went with a friend who set up some tip-ups, um, and we just had buckets. We were sitting on buckets, mm -hmm. and we were jigging for panfish and uh, looking for northern on the tip-ups, and it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it, it was cold. You know, the, the wind, you're right, man, the, the wind on a lake has nothing to stop it, right? And so yeah, it, it's almost it always so a little breezy cold. out there. Yeah, but otherwise, I mean, you just want something to sit on if you want to sit maybe a warm drink the, the auger was the the biggest barrier to entry for me but i got i mean right now i i i bought a used gas powered one and it just kept breaking all mm -hmm. the time and so i eventually went out and got one of those cheapo uh, hand powered ones and then bought an attachment for my drill and so oh, i just yeah. use my drill how do you find that does that work pretty well um i'm working on not burning up the drill so that's, that's been a challenge, but yeah, I mean, it's way better than, you know, 10,000 turns of your arm, but I mean, I've, I've read about folks using axes to get through the ice. Like that's how they used to do it in the old days, I guess. Certainly. That's, I mean, when people only had a stone ax, they were still ice fishing and they mm -hmm. would just chip a hole and, um, that couldn't be done as well. Um, Another another entrance into ice fishing that uh, a lot of people do is you just go someplace and rent a, an ice house that's already there. And um, like in our area, Lake Waconia, close by, there's a marina there on the west side of the lake. And you just call them and say, hey, I'm interested in one of your ice houses. And you can get it for half the day or the full day. And they just, uh, you arrive, it's already warm. The holes are already punched. You can buy They'll already have some bait ready for you. Uh, you can even borrow fishing or rent fishing poles from them. And you can sit in that nice warm ice house. And they have everything from a plywood box with folding chairs all the way up to some of the nicer ones that are more like a camper. And you can sit in there for the day and visit and fish. And they already have you on a spot that's good. They'll, they'll give you all the advice you need and you can kind of like break into the sport and see if it's something that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't even have to be this thing where I got to make a trip to fleet farm or shields before I can even get started or find somebody who's willing to take me. Um, you can, you can do it if you're interested in it. And, and like I said, it is well worth it. If you, if you enjoy something, any other type of outdoor activities, you probably will enjoy this one and it's something to do in the winter I can't wait for that. I right now uh in our area here it's been cool and felt like fall for the last week or so 
and now the weather's shifting back to a warmer pattern for a week, and I feel depressed. <laughs> yeah, and they're saying it's going to be a warm winter too. Yeah. Um, just just for folks listening who haven't seen it, like what Josh is talking about is they make like the equivalent of travel trailers, like RVs that will go out on the ice when it's thick enough. And then they basically, you know, come really close to the, the ice. <clears throat> They'll drill holes in the ice. And then it's like this luxury art. You can have a luxury one, uh, like a luxury RV with holes in the ground in the RV. So you can literally sit there and watch TV. You can set up a pole with a bell on it and just watch TV, hang out. You could, you know, make, make a meal. And then when you hear the bell ring, you go pull up a fish and, uh, you can rent them for, I mean, really, they're really inexpensive. I was looking at, it, it's like almost for some of them, it's less than a hundred dollars for half a day. Um, I had a friend last year who his whole company, you know, rented a bunch of them out as a company retreat. So they just spent, you know, 24 hours together pulling in fish, um, you know, hanging out, watching TV, drinking beers, um, that, uh, that, that part of it doesn't necessarily appeal to me, the drinking part. Um, although I know it does to some, but you know, you get to hang out with folks, whatever you're doing, you're just hanging out. Right. right. It, it, it's a very social thing. Yeah. And right. so speaking oh, sorry, to the, the part about the kids, right. So it's a very social thing. And it, if, if you're looking for a way to spend time with your kids, anything in the outdoors is amazing, amazing way to do that. And this is, this is, this is one of the best ones. Um, for no reason other than that's just my opinion, but it's great. And my mm -hmm. kids, my kids love it too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going back to the safety thing, right. You're, you are a firefighter. So if, if someone falls through the ice, you get a call, right? Right. Right. So on average, how many calls are you getting a year in your area for, you know, people falling through the ice? A zero. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's so low. It's very low, but, um, I think that there's, uh, I actually, I'll, I know one person, uh, recently he was, uh, one of our guys, actually, he works with me. Uh, he hadn't really been ice fishing before and we're out fishing and we said, Hey, come out to the, and meet us. Just go park here, walk down the boat ramp and come out and fish with us. And we're fishing on 20 inches of ice. Uh, so it's very safe ice. And he comes walking down the boat ramp and, what happens is, and this isn't a life-threatening situation, it's just annoying. What happens is the sheet of ice, that the main sheet of ice on the lake that, you know, as I mentioned, it floats. It also shifts around a little bit. It shifts a little bit to the west when the wind is from the east, and it shifts a little bit to the east when the wind is from the west. And it pushes up against the shoreline. And then sometimes it'll make like a stack effect, kind of like plate tectonics, where like the small sheet of ice that's up against the shore and the big sheet of ice that's on the main lake bump into each other and one gets pushed down and one gets pushed up and it makes this like fault line. I forget what it's called. It has a name mm -hmm. um, where the ice can be a little unpredictable, but it's six inches wide and you just step over it. Well, our friend who uh, wasn't aware of that stepped right on the fault line oh, no. and he just stepped in and he fell through up to his waist. Um, and the reason I tell that story is because it's amusing to me, but also because I think that there's a lot of, of those types of falling through the type ice type incidents 
Uh, I had one on Lake Superior last year where there was a huge, uh, a huge stack effect where the sheet was pushing against the ice. And every time I tried to step over it and then the ice right on the other side of it was just a couple inches thick before the ice jumped up to 30 inches thick. But I stepped over it and my foot went right through and I landed in 12 inches of water and my boot filled up with water. You know, it's just (laughs) unpleasant. It's not dangerous. Um, So there's I think there's a fair bit of that that happens. And there's probably a few cases where people fall through and then they just pull themselves right back out and run inside and they're fine. Um, But it does have the potential to be very dangerous. And we do um, ice rescue training every year and we do it in the either the um, late fall or the late spring when the ice is at its worst. We pick we pick the days when the ice is the most likely to break and we put on our dry suits and we get all our rescue equipment. And we just go out and walk around on these lakes with very dangerous ice on them. Um, Just for one thing, I like to just get a feel for what, just how likely it is to fall through. And when you do fall through, just how hard it is to get back out. And uh, it can't, there can be times when it's very difficult to get back out. Um, Mm -hmm. But how often does it happen? How often do we go on rescues in my small response area and in the general uh, Minneapolis metro area that I'm kind of tuned into for fire and rescue. Um, it's pretty unusual, but when it does happen, it, it certainly has the potential to be quite dangerous. Um, there's, there's a short amount of time that you can spend in ice covered water, uh, without protective gear on before, uh, hypothermia takes its toll. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's not something to mess with, but it's it's also, I don't want to get on here and say it's safer than you think, but it's, um, it, it's, it's a little bit safer than you think, and it doesn't require, uh, if you understand what's going on, it doesn't require you to be a completely paranoid person and never step on the ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know, to share my rules of thumb and you can, you know, correct or add, you know, I always carry uh, safety picks around my neck. So they sell these things. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. I was going to mention that good one. Yeah. So they're, they're just like, they're on a lanyard and they each fit in your hand and they have got spikes that come out the bottom. And so the idea is if you fall in, you keep them around your neck under your jacket, you can reach in, grab them, and you can use the spikes to pull yourself out, you know? Um, my other, you know, just general rule of thumb is always go where people can see you and always go in groups and, you know, if need be carry something long that you can extend out to someone, what, what would your other, you know, safety tips be if someone did fall through or, or how to prepare them for that? Yeah. Great tips there. Um, that's one that the one I, I frequently do that where I just want to be within range that someone else can see me. So there's someone to holler to. It's just nice if you're fishing and there's someone else fishing kind of in the same area. And yeah, I prefer to not go by myself for that same reason. But if somebody did fall through the ice, that means that that ice is not capable of supporting the weight of a person, which means you certainly don't want to walk out there and try to pull them out because you're just going to fall in too. There's a high likelihood of that. Um, But uh, you need to get yourself flat on your belly 
and that distributes your weight wide out. And you can, you know, in that prone position, you can approach your person who's in the water and then whatever long, uh, device you have to reach them, like you could throw them a rope or whatever you had one, uh, you could find a long stick. Um, maybe there's a scenario where you could use like, uh, a fishing pole or you could slide, uh, we use typically have like a little sled that we carry all our gear in. You could kind of slide that out to them and use that as uh, something to reach with. Um, I should say, like I say on the safety side, um, I, I, I don't want to sound lackadaisical about safety. I'm actually uh, anybody who hangs around me will tell you I'm more safety conscious than most. And I have in my ice fishing gear, the picks that you mentioned, that's I never go on the ice without those. I usually um, have, uh, wear my life vest underneath my um, jacket and I have one of those uh, auto inflate ones. So it's real low profile. A lot of people will wear um, special ice fishing gear that actually floats. It's like a parka, but it also kind of is a built-in uh, life preserver on it. And I carry a rope throw bag, which is a specially designed thing. They're, they're not super expensive. They're probably $20.00. And it's a little bag with a weight in the bottom of it, and you stuff 20 or 30 feet of rope inside of it. It all comes as one unit. And you take that bag out. You hold one end in your left hand if you're left right-handed. And then with your right hand, you throw it to somebody that you want to rescue. And the weight of the bag and the way it's designed and how the rope kind of deploys out the back, it kind of flies like similar to a football or something to the person who needs it. And then hopefully they can grab it, and then you can pull them out. That's an inexpensive, very lightweight, easy thing to have in your ice fishing kit. And it's just cheap insurance. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry. What else did you mention that I forgot to say? No, I, I think that's that's it. I I mean, maybe you could speak to, you know, if you're not the rescuer, but the rescuee, you know, how do you, how do you get out? Yeah. To self-rescue it, again, it's that prone position. So what you want to do is gently, because the ice is already fragile or else you wouldn't have gone through it. So that means the edge of the hole that you're in is probably brittle as well. Um, so what you want to do is gently kind of edge a little bit towards that, that uh, the edge of the hole. Then kind of kick your legs up until you're, you're kind of in a swimming position. And then you want to basically swim yourself back out onto the ice, distributing your weight as widely as possible. Once you're back up onto dry land or dry ice, then you want to just stay on your belly and just kind of slither your way further and further away from the hole back the way that you came from, because the way that you came from supported your weight one time already. So it's your best bet that it's going to support it again. And you follow those basic rules. That's how you self-rescue. And in my training, doing it um, with dry suits on in various conditions, I've in very, very bad ice conditions all the way up to pretty good ones. I've, it's pretty hard. Uh, it's There's not very many conditions where you can't self-rescue if you know what you're doing. But if you try to just scramble out, It'll just keep breaking and you'll exhaust yourself all the while you're getting colder and colder. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 
because I don't want to end on on a scary note, right? But it's it's really important to know how to do that. Um, I should say it's really important, you know, for folks listening. Anytime you go into the outdoors, if you're hiking, if you're going on a nature walk with your kids, it's really important to prepare for a handful of scenarios, right? My, my daughter fell face first into a pond at the park across the street when she was two, like it just, it happens, you know? So, um, I say that to say that what we're talking about shouldn't dissuade people. Like it shouldn't, you know, scare them out of doing whatever we're doing, but man, is it important to be prepared? Cause if I hadn't have been prepared for a number of situations in my life, whether it was me or my kids, you know, things could have gone south fast, but a little bit of preparation, you know, can go a very, very long way. Um, yeah, I'll, maybe I'll share those stories another time, but I've, I've had at least two kids fall in the water before they could swim and, and we rescued, you know, both of them. Um, maybe we're bad parents. I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. I think that kids that are out doing stuff get into things. It's up to yeah. us as parents to like let them explore, but also be ready to to help. Yeah, well, I think so, you what, know, what you said, oh, Rob, sorry, was Josh. very very well put, and I think I might have said something about this the last time we talked on a podcast, but it bears repeating. I handle emergencies and and stuff for my career, and what I've learned over the years is that if you have at least considered the possibility that. X, Y, Z could possibly happen and what you might do if it did, if that's just crossed your mind for 10 or 15 seconds, the difference between how you will react when you have considered it and when you've never even considered such a thing could happen, it's night and day. It takes Mm -hmm. no time at all to say, all right, if this ice ends up being thinner than we think and somebody falls through, I definitely, I got my rope bag right here and everybody's wearing life vests. And that makes a huge difference between all of a sudden it just happens and you're taken by surprise. And now you have to figure everything out. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so your, your statement as to being prepared and that can happen. It's not just an ice fishing thing. It's a hiking thing. It's a driving thing. It's a living thing. Um, Right. You, you don't ha- you you don't have the luxury of pretending like nothing can ever go wrong. You might think you do, but you don't. Right. Maybe there's someday for another podcast a, a rant or well, a, maybe we just keep a on fr- coming uh, up with topics for future <laughs> podcasts, don't we? I know, I know, but it's I'm you know it. it's it it's so true because we're we're so comfortable, right? People are used to the world being so safe that when something unsafe happens, they don't know what to do. But yeah, and it is safe. That's the thing. Like it is safe. So be happy and be comfortable that we live in a safe world, but also be aware. Yep. You know, so, all right, Josh, give us, give us a fun pitch to close this out. Why should someone go ice fishing this winter with their kids? If that's an option for them. Right. Well, at the risk of repeating myself, And the most important thing, and the only reason you even have this podcast, I presume, and the only reason why I'm on it is because we really care about spending time with our families, raising really resilient, resourceful, strong, happy kids that will be wonderful husbands and and wives and parents to our grandkids 
And like uh, you said it to me in our previous conversation, you're not raising kids, you're raising adults. And I couldn't agree more. And these types of activities, this is one that's just has everything that you need to have quality time with your family baked right into it. And there's a bunch of them that are like that because the outdoors rules. But this one in particular with the winter coming up, it's an option. Uh, A lot of people have a lot of negative thoughts about winter and they hate the cold and they can't wait for it to be over. And I'm booking my trip to Cancun because I don't want to be here. Um, It's so gratifying and nice that I don't, I'm, I'm not saying I would never go to Cancun, but it's not on the top of my list. If I could go to Alberta for an ice fishing trip, or Cancun to go sit on the beach. I'll take the the Alberta trip every time. Um, that's awesome. It's, it's just it's it's just a great way to be with your family, and I presume that's why a lot of people are listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Josh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, thanks again. All right. Thank you.